1: Hi, folks. On today's episode of the Abandoned America podcast, I wanted to address the questions I get asked all the time when I show pictures of beautiful places that have been demolished. And those questions are, how did this happen? Why didn't somebody stop this? To do so, we're going to talk about the Our Lady of the Blessed Sacrament Church in West Philadelphia, which was originally founded as the Our Lady of the Rosary Church. And we're going to discuss why it was destroyed despite protests in the community. I'm joined by Chris Daniels, a middle school English language arts teacher at St. Francis Cabrini, who helped spearhead the local opposition to the demolition. We're going to talk about how the community was essentially cut out of the decision-making process until it was too late and why a place that could have continued to serve the area was destroyed. Before we do, I want to give you a bit of background on the building itself from the article on my Abandoned America write-up, which is a good time for a friendly reminder that if you check the show notes under the podcast tab on the Abandoned America website's menu, you can find more links to info on the places we discuss, in many cases photo galleries and additional history on my website. Our Lady of the Blessed Sacrament was originally founded as Our Lady of the Rosary Roman Catholic Church, an outgrowth of the neighboring Our Mother of Sorrows. The cornerstone was laid in October of 1888 with great fanfare. Over a thousand people attended the ceremony, with multiple church bands and temperance societies among their numbers. Inside the cornerstone were names of officiating clergymen, the names of the president, Grover Cleveland, and the Pennsylvania governor, James Adam Beaver, gold and silver coins minted that year, medals, and copies of the Times and other newspapers from that day. The day the article was carried in the news was October 17, the same day Thomas Edison filed for a patent of the optical phonograph, the precursor to the first movie camera. Two years later, on October 5th, 1890, the Finnish church was dedicated. The tickets-only event was packed to the front doors, and during the procession Ave Maria was played by an orchestra that was accompanied by a solo violinist, a harp, and the church's brand new muddler pipe organ. After the ceremonies, a procession of 4,000 children from the Sunday schools of Our Mother of Sorrows and Our Lady of the Rosary marched down the street. Built to seat 1,000 parishioners, Our Lady of the Rosary was constructed with locally quarried Haddington stone with granite trimmings, and its interior was fashioned with antique oak. Fifteen stained glass windows depicted different mysteries of the rosary, and the belfry spire was 122 feet high. Like many churches, Our Lady of the Rosary served mainly one ethnic group, in this case Irish-American, but welcomed others in the community decades before other area churches followed suit. The population of the neighborhood shifted and by 1996, a year after Our Lady of the Rosary merged with the former Our Lady of Victory parish and was renamed Our Lady of the Blessed Sacrament, 90% of the 600 attending members were African and Caribbean American. One of the more significant events in the history of the church occurred after the painting of the altar entitled The Assumption of the Virgin was destroyed when it fell from the wall as a result of a winter freeze thaw cycle. In 1996, retired art teacher and gallery owner Lucian Crump was brought in to paint a replacement and opted to create a 14-by-28-foot portrayal of the crucifixion flanked by St. John the Apostle and the Virgin Mary. As a reflection of the ethnic makeup of the congregation, Crump's figures were black, a decision lauded for its representation of the inclusivity of the church. Crump, who worked tirelessly to complete the piece and passed away a decade later, clearly felt the painting was to be his life's work and the newspaper article on the painting closed by observing that the church had an artwork worthy of hanging on its wall for the next century. Our Lady of the Blessed Sacrament would not exist for another century, however. It was merged again with St. Cyprian Parish in 2013, who used it for occasional liturgies. St. Cyprian was responsible for maintenance, including $3,500 in repairs that were needed to fix damage from a broken water pipe. St. Cyprian was also struggling, with only 440 members attending Sunday Mass. Without parish funding, they would have to cut staff and outreach programs to maintain Our Lady of the Blessed Sacrament. St. Cyprian petitioned to close the church rather than pay for its upkeep, and in 2014 the building was left vacant. A year later the property was sold to Boys' Latin Charter School despite the fact that they were mostly known for raising the Church of the Transfiguration for a proposed expansion to their school and then doing nothing with the lot for over a decade. When neighbors first saw the demolition notice on the Our Lady of the Blessed Sacrament Church on 63rd and Callow Hill in late spring of 2021, their initial reaction was shock. Tearing down the church hadn't been in the plans for the building that were discussed with them. As far as anyone knew, turning the church into a gym was still the plan. Emails from community and civic groups to Boys Latin were ignored until a petition to block the demolition was started, and there was a protest in front of the building that gained the attention of local news. The demolition notice was taken down, but construction fencing surrounding the property went up. Christopher Daniels, the middle school teacher who had started the petition and whose family had been members of Our Lady of the Blessed Sacrament's congregation for over 40 years, knew there wasn't much time to act if there was any hope of preventing the church from being destroyed. Working alongside the neighborhood civic group, HMC Squared, Daniels helped pass out flyers and set up Zoom meetings to come up with a game plan. And with that, let's go to Chris and find out what happened next. It's wonderful to have you here, Chris. I'm really excited to talk to you and just honored that you're here. Thank you so much for coming. Oh, thank you, Matthew. Thanks for having me. I'd love to share with you the story. I know it's a sort of a painful story, it's one that we're seeing a lot in a lot of different communities not just in Philadelphia but across America where you have these really gorgeous buildings that are really significant to a lot of people really a part of many different people's lives and they're basically being summarily destroyed without a whole lot of feedback so i thought one of the things that would be really good for people to kind of understand is they ask well why does this happen how does this happen why doesn't anybody do anything and you folks did all the right things, everything that you could to stop this from happening, and yet it still did. Is there maybe a bit you could tell me about yourself and your background? Sure. Well, I grew up in the West Philadelphia community. I actually attended
0: Our Lady of the Blessed Sacrament right up until I graduated. After that, even in high school, I attended the church as a regular member on Sundays. I was baptized there, received all my sacraments, went to West Catholic High School, went to LaSalle, and then just by the grace of God, I should say, I think last year when I was applying for jobs to teach, I was lucky enough to be hired right back in the West Philadelphia community. I've always pretty much had great
1: roots there. That's just a little bit about me. I probably could go on and on, but that's a little about me. So how far are you from Our Lady of the Rosary right now, like where you live? Well, I moved to be closer
0: to school. So I'm right now at Olney, which is about, I guess, eight miles from the church. My family
1: live right where they've been for the last 30 years at um 58th street. So they're right over in West Philly. You had told me that they had been members of this congregation for, I think you said 40 years. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. My grandma, she gave birth to my
0: mom and uncle and they were, they were looking for basically a a larger place to stay. So they moved over to 63rd street. My grandmother was always raised devout Catholic and, you know, she was looking for a new parish to join and she saw the church right down on the corner. And so she She signed up and she attended mass there regularly. Both my mom and uncle were baptized and attended the grade school there. And she was a long-term member all the way up until its closure in 2013. I was too. I initially attended Our Lady of Victory first. And it just so happened that Our Lady of Victory at 54th and Vine had consolidated with what what was then Our Lady of the Rosary at 63rd and Callahill. And that's what made the Our Lady of the Blessed Sacrament Church so that was how I became connected with it, although even though that my family had already
1: had background with it, all of us that received our, our sacraments, weddings, there were funerals mm-hmm. there, everything. So, I mean, this is something that is not just a part of your life specifically, but also something that really is part of your like family tree. Yes. How did the story start for you? I'm just speaking a little more to the aspect of finding out about the demolition. Where did you step into this story at? It happened to be a Sunday, the Sunday of Memorial Day weekend, and some one of my coworkers from my school, who also went
0: to Our Lady of the Blessed Sacrament, he was a teacher there, he texted me and he said, do you know that O-O-B-S, Our Lady of the Blessed Sacrament, is going to be demolished? And I said, what? No, are you talking about the church? And he said, yes. And he had said that another parishioner had sent him the picture of the notice. I wasn't near the church at the time, otherwise I would have just drove down there to kind of see the notice myself, because I was just there for school on, like, when we got out, we got out Thursday and there were no notice on the door at all. And um, it just so happened by Sunday, it was up, apparently, because that's when I people were texting me about it. And so I looked on the City of License and Inspections website and I typed in the address of the church and I saw that they had filed for a zoning permit and they are waiting for the demolition permit. So I'm like, oh, wow, it, it it's actually true. And so that's how I had first found out it was quite a shock because no one at all really knew that the church was up for demolition prior to that. And as I was doing a little bit more research and looked at the zoning notice, they received it around April the 12th. So at the bottom of the zoning notice stated that, you know, this notice must be posted within five days of issuing and it was not, you know, it wasn't posted until 30 days afterward. So at the end of that 30 day period, the community, nobody can like file for an appeal about right. this. And so it's already had passed at that point. And so that's only when that notice that came up. So with that, I was kind of upset and a little bit angry. That's how I found out about the, the demolition of the church. It was very, very shocking. And I just got to just point back that since I work right at 65th street, I would always see the church and buy it every day. And at the time I wasn't driving, I was taking public transportation. So I would have to walk right down to the bus stop that was right
1: where the church was. And there was never a notice on any of those tours. What did you do when you found out about this? I'm sure you were pretty shocked. You had mentioned that nobody really thought this was going to happen. Well, it started off with really me just like calling initial family, kind of sharing it on Facebook, sharing
0: with people. And I'm going to be honest, I was passive about it at first. I had just no, I had already since Boys Latin owned the church. I had already kind of knew their history with how they demolished Transfiguration. So at that time, I didn't really. As soon as I saw the notice, I didn't really think. I'm going to be honest. I didn't think it was a fight that we would win, so I didn't attempt to fight. It. However, I had sent an email that same day to Boys Latin. I had made multiple calls. I had a lot. But then I would asked other people to call, and they were ignoring all the calls about the church. And all we were really asking is could we go in and photograph it before it's destroyed. And so I think. How we were being ignored for something so little is what made me really start to think more and more about it. And then I would just look at the church and I just would think about how much of a landmark it's been and how reckless I thought it would be to just destroy it. So that's what made me decide to create the petition that's how it really got started. I created the petition. Um, I really started to just ask like some friends and family to just share it. Shortly after that, I had contacted some people from the Our Lady of Rosary, former parishioners and people from St. Francis Cabrini, the school I met who had a history of rosary. And I said, maybe we should go to the news. So I contacted 6ABC. They did a news story about us. That was the first news story, I should say. And that's when we noticed the demolition notice that was up, that was taken down immediately after that story went out. After that, I realized that I think we needed more people to kind of get involved. And I didn't know. I was like, if I didn't know it and neighbors didn't know it, then like, obviously, clearly no one knows. So I I looked on the city of license in Philadelphia's inspection website. And when you typed in the address of the church, it listed a list of civic associations. So I had contacted them and asked them if they have any knowledge of it. And they had told me no. So I kind of teamed up with HMC Square, which was the community civic association in that area. And that's how we started staging formal protests. We started to walk the streets, to hand out flyers, to let people know this was happening, to join these Zoom meetings so that we could have a discussion. We had reached out to Councilman Jones, representatives from Boys Latin, a number of people. Those were the initial steps that we took. Right when we saw the notice was filed. As I was sharing this on Facebook, an attorney who works in Philadelphia on a number of like preservation battles Hal Shermer had contacted me and so he had, he had worked with us with this case as well in filing appeals to the city of Philadelphia which were not answered in a timely fashion. I also contacted Celeste Morello. She was the art historian who nominated the church for historical designation because I felt that that was the pivotal point, the fact that the building didn't have the, the historical registry. Since it didn't have that, that's why it was up for the demolition and it was able to be demolished. So that's why I felt it was good to talk to her as well,
1: to see what had happened at those meetings when she nominated the building. So what did happen at those meetings? You and I have talked about this privately a bit beforehand, but I mean, I think that's a really, really critical point for people to understand what happened with this and why it's so crazy. So, and I'll point this out too, I was not at this meeting personally,
0: however, I I was in contact with Celeste, who was directly at that meeting, as well as a few other preservationists. For example, Paul Steinke, who runs Philadelphia Preservation Alliance, and David Traub, who has Save Our Sites. These are all some people who just were. But anyway, they were all at this meeting, and I got in contact with them. And I also went ahead and read the minutes that were released on the city's website. When Celeste nominated the building, Philadelphia has, it's like a two-step process. And so the building had met the criteria in the first step. So I think the meeting was in October of 2019, and the Philadelphia Historical Commission, that meeting was just for them to determine if the building met the criteria for being historic. The second meeting in December was the meeting where it was for the final vote. When the final vote came, Boys Latin had brought out a number of students from the middle school, as well as teachers, one person from the community, parents. And they also presented a petition where they had 800 signatures. And they had a slogan that was basically going at this meeting that's like, you know, one building shouldn't stop our child's future. And so Celeste described the meeting as very hostile, very tense, and that, unfortunately, Boys Latin was, you know, kind of playing the race card as a way to take down the building. At first, they had kids that were saying, well, we want this building demolished so we can have a basketball gymnasium. But then on the other side, you had administrators saying, no, 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 we're not going to demolish it. We're going to renovate it. So even at the meeting, it seems like they were talking at both sides out of their mouth from what I've read and from what I was told. And finally, one point that I think that was one of the driving factors at this meeting is that, you know, they used the point that like, unfortunately, they said something along the lines that like preserving this building is about preserving European history at the expense of the education of 375 African-American boys. And, you know, those arguments, unfortunately, weighed over the evidence that was presented for the building meeting the criteria. And so the commission declined to designate the building as a historical church. They left it kind of up in the air that, you know, you can maybe come back in the future and and have this building designated afterward once the renovations are done. But they kind of left it in the air. There's one thing I failed to mention, Boyce Latin. They also went out to the councilman, Councilman Jones, who's in our, our councilman for the West Philadelphia and Roxborough district. And they got a letter of support from him because they also had told Councilman Jones that they were planning to renovate the church building. They did not tell him that they were going to demolish it. So he wrote a letter in support of Boys Latin, asking
1: them not to designate it because even he thought that the building was still going to stand. There's a lot of things to unpack. But if I'm understanding correctly, in that meeting, they had said, look, the reason that we don't want this to get historic designation is we are planning to use this as a gymnasium. And just for the people that aren't familiar with the history of this place, Boys Latin originally is known for demolishing the Church of the Transfiguration. They've used one of the buildings on the property as their current school, but where the Church of the Transfiguration is, is pretty much grass right now. I mean, for a long time, it was just an empty lot. Now it's an empty lot that's at least well-kept grass and fenced in. But one of the questions that I had... And apparently you did, too, from what you were telling me was, first of all, why couldn't they have used the Church of the Transfiguration for this? And second of all, then they're coming into this meeting and saying, we're going to turn this church into a gymnasium. If it gets historic designation, it's going to cost over twice as much to rehabilitate the building. So if you do that, we're not going to have this gym. That we want. Maybe if you could speak to that a little bit in terms of the research that you did in the meetings and everything.
0: This was exactly what you said. It was the same questions I had. I couldn't really see the haste. Like, what was the need to quickly demolish Our Lady of the Blessed Sacrament when? You Had all this open land at Transy, which was demolished recklessly as well. At a certain point in time, once these protests and things took place, Boys Latin invited us to, to talk with them about this. Coincidentally, the same day that they started demolishing the church. But while they were there, they showed us the plans of why they had to demolish this building, you know. And they basically had said that, that the, it was the church was too narrow, and that if you took the roof off, it wouldn't even really look like a church anyway, like the way that people knew it. So we it's best to take it down. So that's what I had asked why I had said to them, I said, well, you know, you guys said the same thing about Transfiguration. You tore that church down and it's just been sitting as a vacant lot ever since. I was like, we don't want this to come over to 63rd Street. There's no need for this over here. And their response is, well, we never promised anything at Trans, you know, we never promised anything over there. And I said, no, you did. You, You said that the whole point of tearing that building down was to expand for school expansion. You know, and I said, you have nothing there. It's synthetic turf, but it's not even a type of athletic field or anything. You have no goalposts up. You know, there's a lot of things that could be done at that field and you're not doing really anything with it at all. So why not build there? And that question was really brushed over at these, you know, they kind of just almost said, well, that's irrelevant here, you know? And so, and I, so that was my question about Our Lady of the Rosary, because I had done some research and in the minutes, they, on, on the minutes that they have on their website, which. If you go on their website, anybody could see them, but no one, you you know, I don't know if anyone's just going to just be searching for Our Lady of the Rosary just every day that they pass by. So I went on there and the plan for Our Lady of Rosary on their website was very similar to what was at Transfiguration of Our Lord. They said that by January 2022, the church will be gone and that, that their plan is to replace it with either fencing and synthetic turf. And that's what's on their public minutes that are online at these meetings and everything, when this was kind of brought up to them and thrown back in their face, then they brought up, well, maybe an academic building is going to come there, maybe a gymnasium. It's like, they don't really know. So these are, I'm going to be honest, it's the same questions I had then. I still have now. Now there's just two vacant lots that they own. And I mean, I have my own speculations as to why, but it just doesn't, I'm just not Those questions that I had before, I still have now as to why Transy couldn't have been preserved and used. For example, I think I mentioned earlier in the interview that the reason for taking down rosary, they said, was because of the columns that held up the church, up to the roof. Transy was pretty open. So it just seems like they want to take down these buildings or these churches, have the lot open, but for what? doesn't really seem like anything is, they have $400,000 to demolish the building, but
1: really they're trying to find money to replace that. I'm not understanding. And how you would characterize, again, I mean, for people that maybe aren't as familiar with the timeline, (laughs) if you hear a big sigh in the background, that's, that's my dog, Charlie peanut butter hanging out next to me. So for people that maybe aren't as familiar with this timeline, you have this, this meeting with Celeste who is nominating it for historic designation. Right. And The big complaint, aside from, I'm going to find the exact quote here. So basically, the Boys Latin CEO says at the meeting that preserving the building is really protecting, I believe, white history, white culture at the expense of 375 students who will not otherwise have a gymnasium. So basically, at the meeting, he's saying, "Okay, well, we need to do these renovations to the building. And this church is no longer really serving the community, so the designation stands in the way of turning it into something else, but at least keeping some aspect of the original structure. Whereas it sounds like after this meeting, and and from what you were saying about the notes online, which, by the way, uh, you're 100% correct in that I went onto their website to research them as I was doing this story on it, and I surely couldn't find any of those things. But it's not like somebody who's just a casual observer is going to go on their website and find it. These meeting minutes were before they went in for that, from what you were telling me. Is that correct? Some of the meeting minutes, like over the course of time, the meeting minutes flipped back and forth.
0: It was only after the meeting, they moved right into the, they like after the meeting, which was in December, 2019, uh it was January 2021 where they came up and said that they were going to prop they were going to demolish
1: the building. And what I'm getting at is it had been kind of characterized as a bit of bait and switch. Yes, with, it was, yes. With what they told the historical commission to skirt the historic designation. Yes. And then this looming question of and, and obviously neither you nor I are necessarily going to be able to say, well, this is what was in their hearts at that particular time. But it sounds like maybe at the time that they were doing this, they had their doubts as to whether they were ever going to actually use this building as a gymnasium. I, I would agree. I think I think by the time that December
0: 2019 was here, they, they had significant doubts about, I think they were moving and if anything, more on the idea of demolition. They knew it, but they couldn't outright say it because then they know that that would not work in their favor. I would be honest in saying that they did do the research and trying, they did look at different sketches and plans to see what they could do to preserve the building, but it didn't work for them. Now when other people stepped forward, like Paul Stanke from the preservation Alliance and things to try to f- give them pro bono work to see what could be done as a last minute effort, they kind of told them to get go away. So
1: like once they had made up their mind, there was really nothing good that, that could be done to have changed it. Okay. So they, they mentioned, again, about this church preserving white or European history. But one of the articles that I read was in 1996. And they said that, you know, it was a 90% black Caribbean American congregation that was there, which was one of the reasons why Crump's painting that was put in there had the African American Jesus that was in it, because that was reflective of the congregation. So there's a little bit of a disconnect there for me where they're saying, okay, well, this is the history of European and white parishioners. And yeah, it's an Irish American church when it was built, but it, it doesn't seem like the church had really been that for decades. Yeah, that's 100% fair to say. I mean, if you think about it, my grandma and, and my mom and
0: my uncle were all baptized there, and they're all in their 50s and up. So that, that's, that's reflective of like five decades right there. And then not only that, but like the church, historically in that area, Our Lady of the Rosary was kind of known for being open at a certain time period. Now, I'll be honest with you. Historically, it was not kind to Italian people when the church was first built. However, over time, toward the 1960s and 70s, as the African-American residents started to move in, the church really opened its doors to the people that were in that neighborhood at the time because two blocks up the street, matter of fact, at the school I worked at now, at St. Donato's, you had to be specifically Italian to go there. At the time, Rosary was known specifically as being open to all. It was a happy mix of Irish and African-Americans, and then over time, it became predominantly African-American. And even at the time that we closed, although the numbers were not what the archdiocese, I guess, would want, there were about 300, 400 people who were going to Mass there. So it was still an active parish full. And, and I'm going to be honest that it had African Americans, there was a Haitian Mass.
1: Those were the two main ones that I remember. The thing that strikes me about that, and again, you know, and in fairness, I mean, I, I don't live around the church. It's not fair for me to come in and say, okay, well, this is what I think people need, or this is what I think people should get or not. But that being said, calling its history solely European white history, in essence, obliterates the community that was a part of it for decades and decades that were really making it what it was, that are going to be the people that are going to be most affected too, because probably the predominantly Irish American community that was there when it was originally founded. There, you know, you might have somebody's like great-great-grandma that's still alive or something from that period, but that's over a century ago. It totally disregards the second half of the church's life, you
0: know, and something like that I think is completely ignorant to have done and to have said. And that's my opinion. I think it's not only that, and maybe I shouldn't say this, but I think for an educational institute as themselves to go out and then say something that's kind of historically ignorant as a means and a method to get what you want, I don't think that sets a good precedent for anybody. That was I don't think it was a good example to the overall community, not to the community, not to their community. One of the things that I would kind of constantly say to them too is, you know, like you keep saying this as if the things that you do at your school, we didn't do when we were open as a parish, you know, like we didn't care about the community and outreach. I mean, like no offense, but we were giving food out to the poor and the parish school, which was open and the, all of these different things. They're making it very exclusive. You know, they're excluding everybody. It's just the school community and that's really it. But they go about and kind of say community, 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 but this was a community church. You know, there right. were people during the protest I talked to who they were like, you know, I'm not Catholic, but there were like many nights I would go to this church and just like stay out here and cry. I think history is important, regardless of whether it's European, African-American. You know, I think I just think that's a reckless comment to have made because it's not like it's a supermarket we're tearing down or it's not like it's a Walmart or like shopping center. It's a church where a lot of historical events take place. You might not see it as history, just like some, we don't always agree on the same history things. But it doesn't mean that it's not historical. People's parents were buried there, you know, baptisms, weddings. I, I just think To have used that argument, I'm going to be honest with you, sometimes hearing them say that or reading those words, it upsets me more than the actual church demolition, because it's very frustrating, the level of ignorance that's being taught. Okay,
1: when you're talking about the community, uh, and you had described it as a cornerstone of the community in one of the emails that you sent to me, why was the church important to the community? Do you feel that, that that community that the church had been affecting, do you feel like Boys Latin did anything to include them or were they being shut out?
0: Well, no, they, the Boys Latin, unfortunately, they did nothing to really include the community. It's a sad thing to say, but a lot of the community didn't know until the fencing went up or until, you know, people saw the news stories that like me and a few other people kind of went out to like try to get publicity on. There was never at any point in time um, outreach to the community that this would take place there were some people when they saw the fencing go up, when we were doing the protest, there was a lady, I never forget, she drove by and she said, you know, what are they doing to our church? And we go, they're planning to tear it down. And she was like, oh no, they can't tear this church down. She was like, you know, all my kids went here. So I think that the church meant a lot to a lot of people for a number of different reasons. Even if you didn't go to the church or go to the school to have that intimate connection, that emotional connection that I guess I do. I think there were other things that, It was a landmark for the simple fact that West Philadelphia community, at least in that area, doesn't have a ton of historically and aesthetically architecturally pleasing buildings such as that. You know, and I think to really rob everyone of that, regardless of a rhythm, because you can appreciate a building without being Catholic. And so you can look at that building and say, wow, that's a great work of art. You know, I'm glad that it's here in my community. I think nobody was really given that opportunity to really voice their opinion on what they wanted to see happen with it. Because even if a gym couldn't take place, there were other things that could have been done that maybe the community would have liked to have seen. For example, it could have could have been an auditorium, you know, where concerts and things were held, especially for the school. It doesn't all why like if it didn't work for sports, why couldn't they make it work for something else? Could have been used as a community center, you know. There there's just so many other things that it could have been used for. So just the kind of one and done, no, it can't be a court, so we'll tear it down
1: and we'll just tell nobody about it. I think it's pretty reckless. I, I would agree. And and certainly one of the other churches that people who have been following this podcast will have heard an interview with before was uh, Third Presbyterian in Chester, which was in much worse shape. I mean, it was still in, I would think it was savable. You know, it was in condition that I wouldn't say it was too far gone, but it's kind of important to understand that Our Lady of the Rosary was in pretty good condition. You didn't have any like major water damage. I kind of went through the whole thing as I photographed it and I didn't see anything that, and and granted, I'm not a structural engineer, but the idea with Third Presbyterian had been to turn it into a community center. And what you're saying about that, I would tend to agree with hundred percent that that's something where it would actually be a really good opportunity for the school to interface with the community itself. And use it for things that they wanted to do like um, a talent show or, or an assembly or something like that. I mean, it would be a terrific, terrific place for that. But then on top of that it would be something where if they open it up to the community, it could really do a lot for the people that are around there too. And I think a lot of people don't understand, they think, okay, well, you know, I'm not Catholic, or I'm not Presbyterian or whatever. I'm not religious, I'm an atheist. So what does this building do for the community beyond just the religious aspect of it? And a lot of times, you know, these places are operating food banks, they're helping people that might be homeless in the area, there's, there's a lot of things that go beyond just having services that these buildings have and can be used for, right? Oh, 100%.
0: I agree. I feel like a church can be used for just literally almost anything. I don't know if you're familiar with St. Agatha that's over in, I think it's in University City, but they just built apartments right over it, a stone church, just like this one, basically. So I think, just like I mentioned earlier, the one and done with this building and only seeing it for one use, to me, is just kind of crazy. As you kind of pointed out earlier, there was there's no there were no structural issues or deficiencies with the building. I saw photos that someone else had taken, probably around like at least in the time before in that imminent period of demolition. The church looked nearly the same way as when we left. It's a real bummer that more outreach couldn't have been done to see what the community really would have wanted with this building. Once you take down buildings like this, you can't really get those things back. And I feel like for a lot of people, it's hard to just look at it from this way. But sometimes you do have to look at the craftsmanship and architecture of a building and recognize why this building stands out over other buildings, why it's important to keep this building, even if I'm not necessarily Catholic or religious. I don't live in France, so I have no stake in Notre Dame Cathedral, but I don't want them to tear that building down. I think regardless of how you feel about the building, a church is one of those buildings that have significance to somebody. Even if you don't, there's always someone around you that will have some type of emotional connection with it. And I think to just disregard that and all the history that's behind it that goes into that building, you don't get baptisms, weddings, funerals, the beginning and end of life, like, for example, at a grocery store or at shopping complexes or high rises. You get that at buildings that are like this. So that's why I think extra care should be taken to preserve it not only that, once you tear it down, you take away the opportunity for anyone to even appreciate it. Sometimes you see a building every day, you never really pay attention, but then one day for whatever reason you stop and you look at it and you're like, wow, that's marvelous. And I think now everybody, the next generation of people are kind of robbed of that. I guess when I'm like 50 years old and I'm sharing this to like a new generation of kids, they're not even going to understand that and that's kind of sad i believe to take
1: that experience away i would agree with you when i was talking to you last week i was thinking this is a lot of stuff that i feel very passionately about too for a lot of the same reasons let's take a quick break and when we come back we'll talk more about what happened that led to the actual demolition of the church Hi, this is Matthew Christopher, creator of the Abandoned America book series website and the podcast you're listening to. Thanks for listening, and I hope you're enjoying it so far. If you are, and you'd like to support the podcast and help keep it going, there are three things you can do that'll really help out. The first is simple. Just tell your friends and family about it or leave a positive review on your podcast platform if they support it. Good word of mouth makes a huge difference. Second, if you'd like to hear early episodes and see exclusive essays and photos that aren't on my website yet, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash That's patreo dot com slash Third, if you'd like to advertise on the podcast, just drop me a note at admin at abandonedamerica.org. That's a-d-m-i-n at abandonedamerica.org every little bit counts and i've got some really exciting episodes that i think you'll love coming up don't forget you can also visit my website abandonedamerica.us for tons of photo galleries and background info on hundreds of abandoned sites or order my two abandoned america books from your favorite retailer with that let's get back to the podcast All right, we are back with Chris Daniels. And you had mentioned before we went on the break that you see architecture as something that benefits everybody. And I I personally very much agree with this because particularly with churches, public institutions, things like that, these are things that are built to uplift the whole community around them, right? What were some of your favorite things when you think about the building? What were the things that really stood out to you about it? I remember
0: the first time I went in the church, I was around eight years old. It was when the two churches consolidated. And I just never forget, like, we went in the church and I just couldn't believe the stunning, like, beauty of it. I, I think the interior of the church was really my favorite aspect of it because the, the columns and the arches and the, the, the mosaics and paintings that are adorn the walls. I thought, in my opinion, and I know I'm probably biased, but it was probably the most beautiful church I think I've ever seen. On the exterior, I think I really, really liked the tower that that was on the church. But I think between the tower and the interior, I think the interior always got me. And I think that was the most kind of hurtful to lose because
1: it was just priceless. Theaters and churches are built to be art. A lot of other buildings, it's function before form. And when you're talking about a theater or a church, the Form itself is really important. And in a church's case, that's to lift your gaze up to the heavens and inspire you. You are religious, but I don't think that it's something that you have to be religious to appreciate.
0: Oh, I agree. I mean, for example, maybe it's not the best example to use, but even skyscrapers. We look at those and we marvel at how they're built and and the way that they're designed and the way that they look. You know, so you can appreciate architecture regardless of, like, for example, I don't work at the Comcast Tower in Philly. But I think it's a great looking building. I think people should be able to distinguish, you know, like, I am not religious, but this is a great building. You know, that's a pretty church. You, there's nothing wrong with being able to acknowledge beauty that's in architecture. Not only that, but got to be honest, kind of as you kind of alluded to, you don't really see great architecture like that in other buildings that are not like theaters and churches and maybe, for example, some old schools and hospitals. But that's where you're likely to find that that marvelous architecture. You know, Gothic architecture is not really built to hold up other buildings other than churches, but it's still impressive. Romanesque architecture, all those things. And again, they're teaching, I think they're just teaching tools because they're standout buildings. Clearly a church stands out from the rest of the neighborhoods. And not only that, I think when it comes to particularly Catholic churches, when they were built, there was a lot of pride that was that was around that. You know, so that's what inspired them to build these big, gigantic monumental churches. And that should be revered. It shouldn't just be ignored or, or even if not demolished, it shouldn't even be really let sit to rot. That should be
1: revered or respected, That they should always find a reason to repurpose. Okay. So you had found out about the demolition. You had called a bunch of people, including uh, HMC Squared. And, and could you tell me a little bit about HMC Squared? You said they're a civic organization. What's the sort of stuff that they deal with and handle?
0: So they, they're the civic organization for the, uh, the West Philadelphia area, particularly Haddington. Carroll's Park, Callowhill, and then they have overbrook, they have uh, boundaries in Overbrook as well. They mainly primarily deal with issues that regard like zoning. So okay. when you go to their meetings, there are a lot of zoning meetings that you're, that they're vote that we're either voting yes or no to. And so that's what made me reach out to them because I wanted to see if they had even had any knowledge about the church building being demolished. And Elo- Eloise Young, she is the leader of the HMC Squared. So I have been in, in contact with her. I still contact her to this day. And I had just simply asked her if she knew anything about it and she didn't. And that's really how that relationship kind of had started. And that's how we started to team up. It's really how we got a lot of more momentum going. We started holding Zooms and passing out flyers to the neighborhoods. Boys Latin was really giving us crunch time, you know. So just as we were gaining momentum and the demolition permit was issued. And as soon as they issued it, like they they started to wreck the inside immediately. So on the inside, we just kind of took, not took it, but we weren't too concerned at that
1: time. We were still thinking we had a chance, but by the time the outside started, it was just ongoing from there. People who are developing properties and who are going to be tearing them down are cognizant of the fact that if you give the community enough time to really rally, it's going to be more expensive. It's going to be harder. You may have things that, you know, block your demolition even. So wreck as much as you can as quick as you can, so that nobody can save anything because it's already gone. So at the point when you figured this out, you get in touch with HMC Squared, then you went out and you protested in front of the building and the news came, right? And can you tell me a little bit about that? So this was all, it was all quick. We had had a Zoom meeting on July
0: the 3rd and we planned the protest for July the 5th because we realized, I mean, at this point, when we had the Zoom meeting, they already had the excavator on site and everything so we knew that this was imminent that it was coming within days and so that's why we planned the immediate protest for july 5th the zoom meeting was somewhat tense because everyone was a little upset at what was taking place and then nobody from boys latin had showed up to it but so when we had the protest we showed up around seven in the morning on july the 5th and we had our signs and everything in channel six action news was there and so as we were gathering like staging and setting up and everything a younger man had a came from across the street and he approached us and we had asked him, we had said, good morning, you know, are you joining the protest? And he said, well, no, not exactly. My name is Dr. Hayes. I'm the new CEO, Voice Latin. This is actually my first day. And we were like, oh, wow. Okay. You know, it's just, in my mind, I kind of thought, well, if this is your first day, it looks like the decisions were made before you weren't they? So you're just kind of, I already kind of thought that he was there for face, but long story short, he invited us at that protest to have a meeting with him. To discuss this matter the next day, July 6. And so we agreed and we asked him what time, and he said three o'clock. And we agreed. He allowed us to protest and we still protested. And then later on in the nighttime, a representative from like WHYY had reached out to me to do an interview. And he had reached out and he said, The councilman's office is having an emergency meeting tomorrow. Do you know anything about this? And I said, No, I don't know anything about this. I know that there's a meeting tomorrow at three but I didn't know that the councilman was coming. Well, he had saw the news articles and I guess this was getting out of control. So his office finally had stepped in. July 6th, we have the meeting at Transfiguration at the old Transy site. And we're talking about the demolition and Councilman Jones is there. And it was very hostile, very tense because they were pretty adamant about tearing down the building. They would not accept responsibility for like baiting and switching. Even the Councilman Jones, he was very, very upset. Because he said, I would have never given you guys the letter of support if had I known you were going to demolish the building. You guys didn't tell me you were going to do that. And so at the, by the end of this meeting, Councilman Jones was asking, well, what can we do? Can, is there anything we can do to stop this? And they had told us at that meeting what we already started today. And so they had began to tear out the schoolyard side of the church. It was only a very, very small portion of it. The excavator claw was still like in the building, but the 95% of the church was still standing. And so even with that, we were still asking for them to stop. And they did agree to pause, but then they
1: resumed the demolition three days later. From you discovering the demolition notice to this point where they started demolition, how many days was that? Demolition
0: notice, I think, came up May 30th, and they had started July 5th. Okay. They never posted the zoning notice. Even though there was a 30-day gap, the zoning period had passed, and the demolition permit was issued. And once a permit is issued, you can't really... There's not much you can do. We did file some
1: appeals and things in that process, but they were no. Why were the appeals not honored? What was the reason that they gave for not giving them more weight? Well, the first appeal was
0: for the zoning permit. And one of the reasons that they shot it down, unfortunately, was because they said that I was too far from the church. They said that so I wasn't necessarily a um, I forgot the exact words that were used. I guess maybe a stakeholder, I could say. The second one was directly appealing the demolition permit. The demolition permit that was issued was for a one-story church, like a one-story building, even though that the building was at, um, on the prior documents, it was listed as at least three stories. So that was that was another like technical appeal that was going on. But unfortunately, once that demolition permit came out, even though you have 30 days after that permit to uh, file an appeal, they can start right away. And that's what Boys Latin did. And so that's why both of
1: those appeals ended up failing. When you're talking about legal stuff you're talking a wildly different timeline than the one that humans tend to exist on because nothing happens overnight. And, and they're clearly defined windows and a lot of sort of technicalities and legalities. It's, it's, it's very hard for a, a layperson to just wade into the middle of this and have any idea what's going on or how they can really make a difference or stop things. For example, if somebody said, okay, they're going to tear down that church three blocks from me or whatever, even though this is something that I'm, I'm passionate about and I've seen happen time and time again, I, I wouldn't necessarily know what's the first step on this? How do you make this something that is an issue that they're going to have to deal with versus just saying, I don't want you to do that and them saying, well, who cares?
0: One of the reasons,
1: especially when you start thinking about the legal
0: aspects of it is that there was not a lot of time that was given. It was, I think the way that the demolition notices were posted and the, and the permits and everything it was done very meticulously and methodically. You know, So it was very planned out. And well executed in a way in which you couldn't really do much, in which these things take time to process and time is not on your side. So it was done in a way in which almost intentionally shutting you out, closing the door on almost every possible avenue that you have. I think the only maybe avenue that we could have had was an injunction. However, those are very costly, Mm -hmm. you know. So just to generate that much money in such a little bit of time was outside of our reach. For example, I'll say this if I was just the person who was just hunting down Boys Latin's minutes, you know, and I had looked in January and knew that, oh, they're planning on doing it then, then like they're planning on doing it in the summer and they're saying it in January, then that's a little bit different, but no one knew, you know. And so that's why, unfortunately, um, I think that's why these things happen. I think, I think that they're, I think not just Boys Latin, but just people as a whole, developers or anything, they do it in such a way that you can't really say much. And even as you mentioned, purposely wreck the buildings to a point where, or put them in a state where you feel like that they, there's nothing that can be done. Like the doors and the windows were stripped off of the church before they even started taking it down, you know, and that was a very, very bad look already. It already gave the impression
1: of a I hate to say it, soon to be demolished church. Right. So if you have a year or a eight month head start or something like that, where you've already got the paperwork, like you're already running on the track. And somebody else is just starting to figure out that they have to race. They're not even in like their, their racing clothes or whatever. The more momentum somebody can build for a demolition process, the harder it is when you're just walking into it, especially right at the very end,
0: Yeah, right at the very
1: end of that to really get anything done with it, which is why I think it's really admirable a, that you did what you did and B, that you made a lot of progress. You had a petition with like 660 signatures if I recall correctly, which, especially when you're talking about something that's that's like for a community building like that is is great. Just being in a, a point where you're like, I need to contact this civic organization. We need to get in touch with the, this council person. Getting towards wrapping this up. And I ask this question as somebody who cares very deeply about these places and has spent a lot of time documenting them because it appalls me. It appalls me that places get torn down that are historically significant, are culturally significant, are architecturally significant, that you could have a church that is the last building that's by a particular architect and nobody cares. They just rip it right down, that you have communities that could benefit from these buildings and they're stolen from them. All of that being said, let's say that I'm not somebody who's already in your corner on this. And I'm coming to you and saying, hey, look, this congregation, they merged it with Our Lady of Victory. They merged it again after that because the numbers are dwindling, you know, and there's not enough people there to really keep the church up. There's not enough funds to really keep the church up. It's obsolete. What does it matter if it gets torn down? If it's no longer in use, why would somebody care if they're not of that religious denomination, if they're not of that neighborhood? What would you say to that person to try and convince them that this is a building that actually really does matter?
0: You know, honest to God, I think I would just tell them to look at the building, you know, to honestly take a good look at the building and see what it represents, not just only as a religious institution, but like as a community icon, I think the tower and just the, the, the beauty of the building was very representative of that whole neighborhood. Once you take down buildings like this, you, that, that's kind of it. And most times, more often than not, that the building that replaces it is nothing at all of the quality or, or craftsmanship of what was, up, what was there before. And I think that's something that has to be acknowledged. And I said this earlier, you know, even if you don't necessarily have any affiliation with the church, you do have to take a moment and, and see what a church does, even if you don't believe in it. One of the things that sticks out to me is funerals that take place at churches where people say goodbye to their mother, their father, loved ones, sometimes for tragic reasons, sometimes just, you know, it's just an old age, whatever the reason is. Death is a very sad thing. And I think when you rip a building down like that, like it's really really disrespectful to all of the people who have kind of come and gone and worshiped over those years in the end everyone's gathering at least trying to gather for a good reason I would just ask a person you know well what benefit is there really when you take the moment and think have you ever taken the moment and think about the benefits of this building or do you just see it as an old church you know because if you just I think perception means a lot you know if you just see it one way then okay But if you take the opportunity and take the time to see that this building is more than just that, then I think you can come to appreciate these things more. I mentioned this to you last week. I'm not a member of St. Laurentius at all. You know, I'm not even from Fishtown. However, it bothered me with like when the archdiocese was trying to demolish that church because of the history and the things that that are indicative with that site. So I think that applies to all holy sites, not just churches too. But, you know, mosques, synagogues, these places have meaning for a lot of people. They have a different purpose, different construction than, for example, a house, shopping centers, skyscrapers, you know.
1: A lot of times people say, OK, well, that's another community. You know, that doesn't really matter. That's not my community. I don't really care about that church. I don't really care about churches in general, but. Sooner or later, the wrecking ball is going to swing on something that you do care about. And I guess maybe I'll compartmentalize this to Philadelphia. Like, this is something where they tear down the Boyd, and that's one of the last great movie palaces in Philadelphia. They tear down Jewelers Row, which was a functional shopping district, really. Church after church after church after church after church. Like, I don't even know where to begin with all the churches that they've torn down in these areas. Individually, you can say, yeah, it doesn't matter because I don't live in that area, but it's, it's kind of a death by a thousand cuts, right? Sooner or later, it's, it's going to come back to you. So how do you feel like the demolition of this church is changing your view of the importance of buildings in your community and the preservation process as a whole?
0: I'll tell you I think I've, I've always loved architecture so I, I've always cared about preservation now I'll be honest i don't, I don't think I thought as deeply as I do about it now as before like until this demolition came up and it, if I wasn't like i be like I love teaching so I'm not saying this in a, gra- a bad way if I wasn't teaching then I would put more time into preservation it's just very hard to balance the two sure. you know. But I, I think this is just something that everybody has to take a moment and just think about for a second. You know, we can't, we can't always just ha- take on that, uh, that mindset, what does not matter, or I, I don't pay it any attention, or, you know. I think it's important to preserve these buildings for their their beauty, their history. So to answer your question, I really, yeah, it's made me on heightened alert about it a lot. I, honest to God, ever since it's happened, I kind of try to look in and search City of Philadelphia's license and inspection page to see like what zoning issues are coming up, to see like what's going on just in the area around me. Because I do think that's important. Because one thing I think I learned in the whole experience is that unfortunately, and I'm sorry I sound so nasally, I have a cold. I didn't even have a voice yesterday. I think unfortunately, the way that it's set up, unless you don't go out and actively look for these things, especially for buildings
1: that you care about, you'll never know that they're at risk for demolition until it's almost too late. We live in a culture where there's this narrative, heroes and people that are going to swoop in and stop things from happening. And you're a guy that saw a demolition notice and really tried to do your best, even though ultimately it, it was a fight that you couldn't win, but you tried to fight the good fight on it. doesn't matter if you win, if you're fighting the good fight, if you're trying to do the right thing, you know, you don't have control over that. You don't have control over whether you're going to ultimately have the the outcome that you want in the particular thing. But the fact that you were there at that moment that you did what you could, To me, that's the thing that's inspirational. And perhaps that, you know, people could maybe think about is that this isn't something somebody else is going to necessarily come in and do. You're a guy who's teaching, you have stuff going on in your own life, you're not going to like fly out to Milwaukee to stage a protest for a church that's going to get torn down there. But what somebody can walk away from this with is seeing that, this isn't an impossible thing to go out and contact the civic groups, to contact their local councilmen, to start raising ruckus about it, basically. And it may be eight out of 10 buildings that you want to save are going to get destroyed. And I hate that. Maybe the, the thing to walk away with, though, is if you could stop two out of those 10. And would it be great if you got all 10? Of course it would. But two buildings out of that 10 are better than zero. That's why I think it's super cool that you saw there being a need for this. You coordinated with other people. You really did what you could to try and stop it. And it's something that you cared about. You saw a thing that you thought was objectionable and you did what you could. I just think that's, that's very commendable. So hats off to you. Thank you so much for coming on here. Thank you. Thank you. I'll say this. I can't say I
0: wasn't devastated. You know, I'd be lying if I'd say I wasn't, but. I can not say, I, even though the building is gone, you can't take away the experiences, what you learned, the people you met. It was a, how do I describe it? I'll describe it as a, a pleasantly daunting task if that, you know, it wasn't the outcome that I wanted. But, you know, maybe it's just my mindset as a teacher, but I do think we all have to be challenged. And sometimes, I hate to say it, sometimes we fail, whether it's unfairness on one part or on the other, or just things that happen. But it's an experience worthwhile. And I think, who knows what the next something else might come up that calls or draws my attention. And maybe I'll be more prepared for it. that with this experience. So I think everything happens for a reason. And so I'm grateful for it, the, the good and the bad. It was a fight that was worth it for sure, though. I'll tell you that.
1: The next person that goes out could be you know, one of your students that oh, yeah. <laughs> sees what you did or something like that. I mean, you don't know. No. You don't know who the person's going to be that picks up the mantle and goes on to the next fight. And final thing is, do you have anywhere that people can find you on social media? Any uh, call to action that you'd like to give people? Well, sure. I mean, if anyone's interested, I have a
0: Instagram page, which is dedicated. It has really a, a ton of Catholic churches throughout the city of Philadelphia. It's called Philly Religious Art. That's on Instagram. So if you just type in Philly Religious Arts, you'll see a picture of a little church right in the corner and you could just follow if you're interested. Also, I am a teacher. So I do have a GoFundMe account to um, really raise money for classroom supplies. I'm about to do classroom decorations soon for Christmas. So if if anyone would like to share or donate or tweet or anything, please feel free to do so.
1: I will make sure that that is up for people in the links. So I encourage you to check that out. Thank you again, Chris. I truly appreciate this. I appreciate your time. I appreciate you talking about this because I know it's not necessarily an easy story, but again, I think it's an important one, both in terms of what people actually can do and how they can work against demolitions like this, but also reality check for people when they're like, why does a place like this get torn down? Why didn't somebody do anything about it? It seemed like you, you folks did everything that you could. It seemed like you did everything right but it's a situation where you're going into it with the deck stacked against you to begin with. And the best that you can do is raise awareness about it and get people involved in it. But I hope you have a great night and really has been a, a pleasure having you here. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you again for having me. I appreciate it. Well, that's it for the episode. Thanks so much for joining me again. And I'll be back with our next episode in a week or two. In the meanwhile, you can go to the show notes under the podcast menu tab on abandonedamerica.us for a link to see photos of Our Lady of the Blessed Sacrament before it was destroyed. Also, if you'd like to help keep this podcast going, please head over to patreon.com abandonedamerica, where you can get ad-free early access to photo galleries, historical write-ups, podcasts, vote for what I cover next, join me on private Zoom sessions, and a lot more. I'd like to thank all my current patrons for helping me make the editing costs for this show manageable, especially Peter E., Jen D., L. M., Terry G., Mary Lynn D., Kathy C., and Alexander F. I didn't give last names because I never know how comfortable folks are with that. You people rock. And you, dear listener, rock as well. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe, drop us a good rating, and recommend it to your podcast-enjoying friends. Thanks again, I'm Matthew Christopher and you've been listening to Abandon America.